There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. The weather is getting warmer, and it's time to swap my winter layers for fun, vibrant, and cool clothing with so many fun things happening this spring, like Mother's Day and the Wind Down Tour. It's hard to find great-looking clothes that fit you just right. That's why I love JCPenney. JCPenney has so many stylish and comfortable options for so many different body types. I've been blown away by their selection, and everything hugs my body in all the right spots. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with style that gets you. Something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her, each in women's petite and plus sizes. Here, spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney, make everybody count. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. This is the Sports Illustrated Boxing Podcast. It's boxing. A look inside boxing with Sports Illustrated's Chris Mannix. Interviews, analysis, and everything going on in boxing. And now a man who I wish was called the Boston Bleeder. All doctors to the ER. It's sort of like getting punched in the face. Chris Chris Mannix. All right, welcome back. SI Boxing Podcast on this episode. And we have a really good one lined up for you. Keith Idek, senior writer, BoxingScene.com. He joins me. He's back. And we talk about all the news of the week from Deontay Wilder's decision not to continue training with Mark Breland. You've got the Boxing Hall of Fame ballots going out. Uh, who is going to get left out in a very loaded class? And Eddie Hearn says that Jermall Charlo versus Demetrius Andrade is an easy fight to make, is it? Oh, man, I want that fight to happen so bad. Get into all that much more with Keith Eideck from BoxingScene.com. A little bit later on, Leo Santa Cruz, 130-pound title holder. He has a huge fight coming up against Gervonta Davis. That fight's going to take place on October 31st on Showtime Pay-Per-View. I talked to Leo about his last fight, which was a little bit underwhelming, why he's targeted Davis and why he thinks he has what it takes to win a fight this big. All that and more with Leo Santa Cruz. Quick housekeeping note, if you like this podcast, easy way you can support it. Get over to Apple Podcast, post a comment, leave a rating. It's simple, it's easy, it's the best way to make sure that we keep doing this podcast week after week. That's it. All right, on to my conversation with Keith Ideck. All right, Keith Ideck is here, senior writer, boxingscene.com, friend of the program, friend of Quarantined events, too. Keith uh, made his ringside debut just a couple of weeks back at the Jamal Charlo, uh, Sergey Derevinchenko, Jamal Charlo, Jason Rosario card. First, Keith, how, how was that experience for you? 
Uh, it wasn't as bad as I expected, Chris. I, you know, you spend most of the time for obvious reasons in your hotel room, uh, but covering the event itself, you know, it wasn't as, as restrict. I, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was challenging and I'm all about wearing my mask, you know, all, you know, doing exactly what we're supposed to do to keep everyone safe and healthy. But it was a little challenging probably to wear the mask for about nine hours in a row. Um, from the time the under, there was a non-televised undercard fight that I covered, uh, that your girl Jolene Mazzone matched. And, uh, uh, you know, so by the time that it was a long card, obviously it was seven fights and broken into two segments. And by the time I got out of the arena, it was probably about eight and a half, nine hours after I got there. But overall, I mean, it wasn't as, as bad as I was expecting or restrictive as I was respecting, expecting you could, you could get food at the, uh, at all the restaurants in uh, Mohegan Sun, uh, but you had to take it back to your room. You weren't allowed to eat uh, at the restaurants. Uh, you know, they're just trying to keep it as safe as possible. And um, they're doing a good job, I think, especially of keeping the fighters uh, more important, obviously, than us and anyone else. But the fighters have been uh, doing a good job adhering to the rules, I think. And uh, there haven't been many positive tests recently. Um, I think there's a variety of reasons for that. But uh, but overall, they're, they're doing a nice job up there at Mohegan Sun, Showtime, and, uh, and the PBC. And I'm sure Jolene's... I'm sorry, get it, Chris. No, nah, I was gonna say I'm sure Jolene's matchup was a real barn burner. I'm sure that was a well, her, her guy got not her guy got knocked down. It was kind of a oh. knockdown, but he got he's the number one contender contender for Jamel Charlo's title. He's a you know he's a puncher, but he really hasn't fought you know the highest level of opposition, of course. But uh, I think he I want to say he's like 17 and 0 with 13 knockouts or 14 knockouts, something like that. And he came back to dominate his opponent. Um, but he did get caught with a flash knockdown there in the first round. So, yeah. no, that was just that's just my way of just taking a dig at Jolene. <laughs> of course. You know, at all times, all availability. I want to take a dig at uh, main events VP Jolene Mazzone. Um, <laughs> all right, let's jump right into some of the news of the week, Keith. Outside the ring, uh, some big news. Deontay Wilder has elected not to work with Mark Breland anymore. Breland has been part of Wilder's team for a very long time. Uh, but uh, most notably recently, was the man in the seventh round of Wilder's fight against Tyson Fury that threw in the towel. Wilder, in the aftermath of that, was extremely upset about it. There were questions about whether or not he would retain Breland. Wilder publicly said he would. And now we have this turn of events, perhaps just months away from a third fight with Tyson Fury. So Keith, what do we know about Deontay Wilder's decision to part ways with Mark Breland? I think, Chris, that Deontay Wilder made up his mind to, quote, unquote, fire Mark Breland that night. I don't think anything changed. I didn't believe for one second that press release that they sent out the following week. I think both of us were in, uh, in Texas at that point for the Mikey Garcia, Jesse Vargas card. They sent out a press release later in that week, you know, kind of late at night, that Deontay Wilder had, you know, was going to keep Mark Breland. I didn't believe it. I just thought they were trying to smooth things over for public relations purposes because Wilder was taking a lot of criticism that week in particular because he had said some uh, off-the-wall things, I guess, uh, to, to me and to you and to other people. Um, and I just think there was an avalanche of criticism criticism coming Deontay Wilder's way, and that was a way to kind of uh, stop some of it anyway because, you know, there's been a lot of public backlash against Wilder because – Mark Breland was obviously looking out for his well-being and, and ultimately did, I think, the right thing that night. 
But Wilder uh, implicitly told him many, many times to never stop a fight. Um, and Mark Breland did what he thought was the right thing, I think what a lot of other people think was the right thing. So I do understand why people have criticized Deontay Wilder for getting rid of him for that very reason. And then if you're Wilder, you look at it like, well, I told him not to do that how many times? And he technically, you know, although Breland is his co-trainer and has been with him his whole career, JD's is actually the head trainer. So he didn't really have the authority per se. And and the way that their team is constructed to do that and JD's had told him not to do it and he did it anyway. So Wilder kind of looked at it like he was, um, you know, defying orders. But, but again, Mark Breland, who's a former welterweight champion, was a very good fighter in his time, a gold medalist, knows what it's like to be in there and to take punishment as a fighter, um, did what he thought was the right thing. And I think what, with what most people would agree was the right thing. But to, to overall answer your question, Chris, I don't think any, anything necessarily changed over the last few months. I think this was a decision that was made a long time ago, and uh, it just kind of came to light now because Deontay Wilder has kept a very low profile since uh, the week after the fight. I think first, Keith, we're both in the camp of Mark Breland did the right thing. Mm-hmm. Like Mark Breland saved Deontay Wilder from whatever amount of punishment he'd be able to take before Tyson Fury either put him on his back or the referee stepped in and stopped that fight. Like this was like no rational person, even with Deontay Wilder's power, could have believed that he would have found a way to win. Like it just, it was just, uh, it's just illogical to think that. I mean, Wilder's legs were gone. And as powerful as he is, you know, power is generated from that lower body. He wasn't going to be able to just arm punch Tyson Fury uh, into a knockout. So uh, Mark Breland did the right thing. What what I'm curious about, what I, I think I need to know more about is the timing of it all. Like, was this just announced uh, because it was a decent time to announce it or uh, had a decision been made or reached? I mean, has Mark Breland been working with Deontay Wilder over any period of time since that last fight? I mean, the last fight, it feels like it was last year, but it was February. I mean, that was, you know... Uh, eight months ago, whatever it is. So a lot of of time has passed. And now, I mean, I don't know when Wilder Fury 3 is actually going to take place. Probably not until early 2021. But we're inching towards it. And and you're right. JDs is still there. JDs is the head trainer. But, you know, Mark Breland was a big piece of that puzzle. Are they going to replace him? Uh, Are they just going to go with JDs, which, you know, they've done very early in Deontay's career? Uh, It does raise a lot of questions about... Who is going to be advising Deontay Wilder before easily the most important fight of his career? Yeah, I do. Again, Chris, I do think that this decision was made. I haven't been given any indication that Mark Breland has been working with Deontay Wilder since he was able to return from the gym from his arm surgery. Uh, I I don't think that he has. I think more so what it was is that Shelly Finkel, who's Deontay Wilder's co-manager, as you know, has a very close relationship with Mark Breland. He was his co-manager also. Uh, very close to Mark, wanted to give Mark every benefit of the doubt. And if I had to guess, I mean, Shelly has not told me this himself, but if I had to guess, Shelly probably tried to talk Deontay Wilder into not parting ways with Mark Greeland, and ultimately he was unsuccessful. I don't think there was anything really magical to when this came out. I just think it was a matter of um, uh, Dan Rayfield, you know, we know a colleague for a long time, uh, who now does uh, some freelance work for our website, I think he just happened to speak to Shelly last week and ask him about that because Deontay was back in the gym. 
And I think that was the timing of it. There, I don't think there was anything more to it than that necessarily. But um, so, you know, Shelly told Dan what was going on and that the decision had been made. And so then it came out. Um, so, yeah, I don't think it was anything more than that, really. And, and I, I th- I, the interesting thing, as you said, Chris, is what is he going to do now? Is it just going to be JD's in the corner? Because he's obviously very comfortable with Jay, who's his, you know, was also his co-manager and been with him from the very, very beginning. Uh, but, you know, Floyd Mayweather has repeatedly offered to help him. Now, you put those two egos in, in the same room. <laughs> I, I, I don't know which gym on earth is big enough to fit those two egos, but but Floyd Mayweather, from a tactical perspective, certainly would be able to help his cause going into that third fight with Tyson Fury. Yeah, I mean... I guess, theoretically, although we both know great fighters often don't make great trainers, and Floyd's style, obviously, very different from what Deontay uh, has stylistically. I mean, I, you'd think you'd try to find some kind of offensive coach, maybe? Somebody, I don't know, I mean, I, 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 like Freddie Roach jumps to mind, but that's not going to happen. That's the, That doesn't uh, make a lot of sense, at least logistically. I, I mean, I, I it, now we're into kind of opinion territory. Like, I think Deontay needs another voice. Like, I think JD's has done a remarkable job, you know, helping to build Deontay into the fighter he is today. But I don't think you just remove Mark Breland from the situation and don't replace him with anybody. I, and maybe they, they do have people in that camp or plan to bring people in that camp, but the clock's ticking. And if you're bringing in someone new, you know, a fighter's going to have to get used to the instructions of someone new. He's going to have to get right. used to the style of someone new. And I'm, I'm basing this all off, you know, last year, like reporting on Anthony Joshua and the two people he brought into his camp that mm. added something to his game that he told me repeatedly, like it took me some time to kind of adapt to, you know, that style. So uh, it just, it, it just adds Keith, a layer of intrigue to all this, right? Like, I mean, we're already curious yeah. what Deontay is going to look like in this third fight. Now it's Deontay minus Breland and maybe up somebody else. I mean, it just, creates a, a new narrative to all this. It really does, Chris. And I think ego is a big part of it in the sense that you don't want to, I think he would be uh, cognizant of not bringing someone into the camp that is going to kind of consume what they're doing because he doesn't want to look, if he wanted to fire JDs, he would have done it already. So he obviously still has faith in JDs. Um, and if you bring someone in who's a big personality and he, you know, tries to, you know, just even unintentionally, he kind of becomes the leader of the team. It can cause problems that he doesn't need going into this fight, uh, which, as you said, is a, an enormous fight for him. But uh, they ha- they have kind of elevated Malik Scott's role. You know, Malik, of course, has a very close relationship with Deontay, has been in his camp. You know, obviously, Deontay beat him way back when. Uh, he's been a sparring partner for Deontay and knows him very well. And he really respects Malik Scott. So, I mean, I don't know that he's bringing anything new to the table necessarily because he's been involved the whole time. Uh, but he will play a more prominent role on Wilder's team. But uh, it's going to be very interesting to see if they bring in someone else. And I would think, Chris, if they were going to bring in someone else, particularly someone high profile, I don't think Freddie Roach is ever a possibility, like you said, but someone of that magnitude i think it would have been done already because you want to have them while you have this extra time and you don't know when the fight is even going to be scheduled while you have this extra time you would want to give them as much uh time in the gym as many rounds as possible for them to get used to working with each other before you really get toward crunch time of training camp and they haven't done that as far as i know so it kind of leads me to believe that they're going to go with jds and malik scott and not bring in someone you know, with a wealth of experience who has succeeded at the championship level with other fighters. 
Yeah, and look, maybe they feel like, you know, their guy is what he is. He just has to do what he does better in this next yeah. fight, and they don't need another voice for that. That's a, certainly a, a, a reasonable position to take. It just, uh, it, it's a roll of the dice, that's for sure, to yeah. lose a voice and a mind like a, uh, like a Mark Breland. Um, all right, let's talk about my favorite subject. You were ringside, Keith, uh, this past... <laughs> I heard that. You were ringside uh, for Jamal Charlo's uh, win over Sergey Derevchenko. Terrific performance by Charlo. Uh, a signature win for him at 160 pounds. Gives him some momentum uh, going into his next fight. But what will that next fight be? Our old friend Eddie Hearn uh, stole a cropped together photo that I had, put it on social media, and says that, says, look, Charlo, Demetrius Andrade, is an easy fight to make, Keith. I have like a Charlo Andrade radar in my head. When somebody brings it up, I just notice it across the world. Is Eddie Hearn right? Is Charlo Andrade easy to make? I, first and foremost, if this fight ever happens, <laughs> we're going to have to put you in a rubber room the night of the fight. I mean, you, you won't even be able to think straight, I don't think. But um, I don't think it's an easy fight to make now for a variety of reasons. Um, one the zone clearly is not looking to spend the type of money that it was spending before. So who, whoever you believe with the $7 million offer, whatever side you're on, just let's remove that. Not you personally. I just mean fans, right. other media or whatever. Let's just remove that from the equation for now. That $7 million, I would not think is going to be available for Jamal Charlo for that fight. Now, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I don't think so because they're looking to significantly cut what they're paying the biggest star in the sport. They don't want to pay Gennady Golovkin necessarily what he thinks he's supposed to make for his next fight. So I wouldn't think that they would be looking to spend that type of money on Charlo Andre, which is a good fight. It is a good fight. I would like to see it. It's, um, I don't know necessarily it would be the most entertaining fight in terms of the way their styles would mesh, but it's a, it's a meaningful fight. It's a middleweight title unification fight. Uh, both guys are undefeated. They've kind of been circling each other for the last few years especially thanks to your, uh, your help. Um, Obsession. Yeah, exactly. But, but you know, if, if it's me and I'm the zone and I'm looking to make a big fight that involves Jamal Charlo, and that might include working with Showtime where you put the fight on pay-per-view and on the zone because they have expressed willingness to do that for Canelo Alvarez's previous fights to make it work financially. Um, now, I don't know why fans necessarily, I know getting off track here for a second, but I don't know why fans necessarily would pay 75 or in that case, probably a little more $80 to watch something on pay-per-view that you could watch for $20 on, on a streaming service. But there is the belief even within the zone that there are people who are trained to do that and will do it. So they would mm -hmm. kind of partner in that case with Showtime. Uh, and I think it would be Showtime uh, to make that fight and then try to make it work financially on both ends. Uh, but if I'm the zone and I'm going to try to get involved in the Jamal Charlo business in whatever way I can, the fight that I'm looking to make is Canelo Alvarez and Jamal Charlo, not Jamal Charlo and Demetrius Andre. Now, there's a million reasons why that probably won't happen. I'm just saying, ideally, that would be the way to go, assuming they can repair their relationship, which I think you and I both agree will probably happen. I think it will continue mm -hmm. fighting on the zone. Assuming that happens, I, I think, you know, Charlo... Alvarez or Alvarez Charlo, as it would be billed, uh, is a is a much more intriguing fight now than it was three weeks ago, and I thought it was pretty intriguing then. 
But the way that he beat Sergei Derevyanchenko was pretty convincing. Um, I would prefer to see him fight Canelo. And after the fight, Ronnie Shields told me, uh, like a, cu- a couple minutes after the press conference, he said, look, we'll move up to 68 to fight Canelo. If he wants to fight at 75, which I don't think Canelo is going to do again, but even if he wanted to fight there, which would that wouldn't be wise in giving Charlo more of a size advantage, but uh, we'll do whatever he wants to make the fight. That would be the fight that I would be trying to push. Now, of course, the biggest obstacle is they wanted to fight Triple G the third time, which is the reason why they signed Triple G. And there, there are, So there are a million complications there. I'm just saying, ideally, that's the fight I would be trying to make, Alvarez, Charlo, whether it's at 60 or 68, because that, that is the fight I think. I'm not saying commercially it's a bigger fight than the third Triple G fight, but there are a lot of people who don't want to see Canelo fight Triple G the third time because they've already seen it twice, and now Canelo uh, – it looks like there's more distance between Canelo and Golovkin than there once was based on Golovkin's age, how he looked in the Derevyanchenko fight, and a lot of other factors. Yeah, you make some good points, although I'll be editing out any critique of Andre Charlo as a <laughs> barn burner of a fight. Um, the The issue I have is that even even if you're right that you know there, there are plenty of people that don't want to see Canelo versus Golovkin 3, we both know, like, if DAZN can make that fight happen, they're going to do it. Like, oh, that's sure. that's it. And that's and that would be likely ticketed for May of 2021. Mm-hmm. So if you're taking Canelo off the table till at least September of 2021, which would be the earliest he'd kind of be available for a Charlo fight, what does Charlo do in between? Like, are we just going to be satisfied with Chris Eubank as an opponent? And... Mm-hmm. Okay, Eubank's okay, but you know, I, you mentioned Ronnie Shields. Like, I was reading some comments from him recently where he's like talking about, you know, Eubank's interim title being elevated to full title, and they can fight for a unification fight for a title that nobody's actually won. Like, none of these titles actually were, you know, won in the ring against a mm-hmm. uh, recognized champ. Like, there's just some goofiness to it all. I, I just my biggest issue, my issue is not with Canelo Charlo. I, I'm on the same page. I think that's a a big fight in 2021. I just don't see it happening until the fall. And in between then, if we're looking at maybe two Charlo fights, maybe most likely one, but maybe two, if we're looking at, at that many fights, like I don't want to see him fight nobody's. I don't want to see him fight Chris Eubank. I, I don't care. I just, Chris Eubank is fine, but Chris Eubank does not move the needle. And if they put that on Showtime, it's going to do a dreadful rating. It just is. Chris Eubank is not a known commodity in the U.S., and that does nothing for me. I don't know, to your point about the money, I don't know if that 7 million, X million, whatever number it was, is still on the table. I wouldn't look at the current landscape at DAZN as being indicative that it's definitely not. I I think one thing they do want to do, and they're still motivated to do, are those uh, Jose Ramirez, Marius Hooker type fights, where... If you've got Andrade here and you're obligated to pay him X amount of money when he gets in the ring, you know, goose it a little bit or a lot and, you know, get him in a big fight. And if he loses, you're kind of done with him. Like you can, right, right. you know, move on or cut his rate, you know, at least uh, dramatically. So I, I think there's, there's probably a pretty significant financial offer uh, still on the table if it's on zone. I don't know the interest that Showtime would have, what kind of guarantees they would make in a pay-per-view. And to your point, I'm not sure what kind of number that does on pay-per-view, even though the boxing purists would understand the level of fight that it is. But mm-hmm. I just, I mean, I, I don't I don't want to go through eight more months of Andrade versus whoever he's going to fight in the fall, and then maybe Liam Williams, 
And then Charlo versus Chris Eubank versus whatever mandatory that's out there on the WBC. I just, I don't want to go through with it. Like it just, none of it moves the needle. And if you've got these two guys that are undefeated middleweights with, you know, belts around their waist, everything possible should be done to pressure them to get into the ring. That includes saying that Chris Eubank versus Charlo is a eh, whatever fight. I think that includes going after Andrade, you know, and, and making sure he makes it clear he can go over to Showtime pay-per-view and take that fight for, for the right money. I mean, this, to me, to me, it's just like about public pressure. Just like keep applying it and applying it and applying it and hope that yeah. one day uh, saner heads prevail and it actually happens. Chris, I share a lot of your concerns. You know, I, I would prefer uh, Charlo to fight someone other than Chris Eubank next. Uh, Chris Eubank Jr. is, uh, you know, unfortunately uh, is probably going to be Charlo's next opponent, if I had to guess, because he because he was actually the front runner to fight Charlo, you know, but before I think they came together on this pay-per-view combo with both Charlos and everything. He was the front runner, I think, to fight. They fought on the same card back in December. Uh, Chris Eubank Jr. signed with Al Heyman and, and the PBC specifically to fight Charlo. Um, so I, I think that fight will happen next. If I, if I had to guess, and my best educated guess would be that he would fight, uh, and obviously not on pay-per-view, but um, there, there are some components uh, overseas that make sense. You know, it, Eubank is a popular fighter in the UK, and there would be some television money available there for, for him to fight against Charlo. Um, so I, I do think that that fight probably will be next for Charlo. And like you said, if uh, who knows when Canelo is going to fight next, but, just for argument's sake, let's say that he fights Golovkin a third time in May and he wins. Well, then he should be available to fight Charlo next. And then if mm -hmm. Charlo is on the same schedule where maybe he fights in the spring sometime, then he would be available for that fight. And he continually says that he wants that fight. I don't think either one of them are quote unquote afraid of it, but in fairness to Charlo, he was the mandatory challenger for, for Canelo and then they made up this kooky franchise designation, which was not transferable, according to what they said, and is now transferable in the Lomachenko-Lopez fight. So who the hell knows exactly? But um, but Canelo could have fought Charlo if he, if, if he wanted to, and, and vice versa. You know, and I'm not saying that you know other fights that Charlo took you know were as appealing as the Canelo fight. They obviously were not. But um, but that fight could have happened. I mean, it could have been mandated. You know, if they if the WBC wanted to do that, but um, but here we are. You know, they they still haven't fought, and who knows when Canelo's going to fight next? But he's going to fight. Obviously, he's going to fight Golovkin before he fights anyone else in a high profile fight. Yeah, and look, in boxing, you don't have to earn anything. But I mean, to me, Andrade versus Charlo, like the winner of that fight earns Canelo, like he's earned it at whatever weight class he wants to fight at. I mean, they would be the most credible next opponent for it. There would be some buzz for it because of the win they were coming off. If they fought, say, in March uh, and got a win and Canelo fights in May, you know, that's an easy one to make. I mean, obviously, boxing doesn't go by logic ever, but yeah. this, it just, it, it, it's like, you know, too often, it, it feels to me in a way that Charlo's trying to kind of backdoor his way into a Canelo fight. Like, he gets a win over Derevchenko, then he takes maybe, or I don't want to call Eubank an easy fight because I think Eubank's pretty good, but... Uh, he takes an easier fight and then, you know, can kind of talk his way into a Canelo fight because Canelo doesn't have the options that maybe he once did. Yeah. One thing I would say, Chris, is I don't think at this point Charlo needs to earn the Canelo fight. I think he did that on September 26th because Canelo, the other opponent that Drevianchenko, as you well know, was, was considering fighting and he actually picked the Charlo offer over the Canelo offer. 
but of course he was going to fight Canelo. So if Canelo, if, if Derevianchenko was an acceptable opponent for Canelo, then the guy who beat Derevianchenko convincingly should be an acceptable opponent for Canelo. If the, if the argument is, is that he has a poor important. Yeah, I get it. He he's look, he he's got good wins at 154. That's a good win at 160. Certainly is a marketable opponent. I will not stop banging the drum though, Keith. I will <laughs> That's not what this is, look, stop. That is what this is all about. You don't want to hear anything contrary to Trump no. Android happening, and you never will. So I, I get it. I get it. People are like, I get it all the time on Twitter. Like, you just want Charlo over on the zone. You could put that on like True TV pay per view. I don't give a shit. Like, just put it on hand. I don't care. Yeah. Like, I might not even be. I might not be able to physically be able to call a fight like that. I'd be so excited. Like, I might not. <laughs> That's what I, said. I might. That's I what... need to take a step back into press row again. A rubber room next to the media room for Mannix on the night of Charlo Andre. But Chris, I'm with you though in the sense that if that fight had to go to pay-per-view to make it work financially, I think they would be wise to do something like they did September 26th, package his brother against a good opponent and do it that way and try to stack the undercard as best you can because it's not as big commercially, Andre Charlo, as obviously as Charlo Canelo or Charlo Golovkin or whatever. Right. Uh, A couple things here. Uh, Terrence Crawford, it looks like he's earmarked to fight uh, Kel Brook. I'm a little surprised, Keith, that Kell Brook is going to like try to make 147 again. It seemed like those days ended after the Errol Spence fight and he moved up. Uh, you know, he had an opportunity to, I mean, one of the issues that he had with Amir Khan was that Kell Brook didn't want to go all the way down to 147, but it seems like this is the fight uh, that's going to happen. We are in a pandemic. Kell Brook is a name. What do you think of Kell Brook as an opponent for Terrence Crawford uh, sometime in the next couple of months? Yeah. You know, it is, it, it is what it is. You know, I, I look, Kell Brook has only lost two times. I, I think, you know, he's, he's obviously outside of his physical prime at this point, particularly uh, with all the punishment that he took in the two fights that he lost to Gennady Golovkin and Errol Spence. Um, you know, he, he took, oof, he took a, a hellacious beating against Golovkin. Um, was very competitive in the fight against Spence before Spence broke him down, suffered those broken cheekbones on both sides of his face. Um, hasn't been in a, in a quote unquote tough fight since then necessarily, uh, but he's 34 years old and, um, you know, has a very good resume, obviously has a huge heart, fought Golovkin have moved up to 160 to fight Golovkin. I, I don't think he has any chance at this point to beat this version of Terrence Crawford. I, I don't see that. Um, but and, and people will say it's his fault, and I understand it to some degree. You know, Crawford is not – none of the PBC guys are available for Crawford. Now, again, you could blame that on Crawford or blame that on PBC or whatever, but he's not fighting Sean Porter, you know, certainly not fighting Errol Spence. Um, so they, they went for a name opponent who took the fight for a little less money than people probably would have expected it would cost, you know, based on the pandemic and – him knowing that there are no other paydays out there for him except Amir Khan, as you mentioned. And I think as it relates to Amir Khan, Chris, that's all ego. He just didn't want to give in. Amir Khan wanted the fight at 147 and says that he's the A-side. And Kell Brook said, you know, screw you. I'm not going to do what you say. We're not going to do it on your terms. If they would have fought at 148, 149, 150, I think the fight would have happened by now. Um, but I think that's more what it was. that He just didn't want to concede to Amir Khan uh, what Amir Khan was demanding for the fight to happen. And that's what else is there really for Kelbrook to do? I mean, if he's a 54 pounder, I certainly don't want to see him fight Jamel Charlo. And I'm sure you don't either. 
so who so who is he going to fight? I mean, what what relevant fight is there for him besides moving down and fighting Terence Crawford? And look, if he pulls off an upset, I mean, his career is revived and and he obviously gets another payday and uh, he's obviously another huge fight. But um, but I, I don't know. I mean, at this point for Crawford, I, I don't know. I mean, what what does it do for Crawford to beat Kell Brook? Yeah, I mean, just just say you've beaten the two British guys in your weight class and yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of a, it's not there's not a lot a lot of appeal to it. I just I, it's whatever to me. I I guess on Brook, one thing I that crossed my mind in the last month or so was, you know, if Patrick Teixeira didn't have to make his mandatory right away against Castaño, you know, could Eddie Hearn, you know, entice Golden Boy to make that matchup, you know, which is a certainly a winnable fight for Kell Brook mm-hmm. at 154 since Teixeira is not a uh, stopper, but you know that's 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 not a a major fight uh, uh, either. So it's it's whatever, and and we're still on this kind of path with Terence Crawford, where you know when's that next big fight come, and where does it come from? Yeah. I mean, do we have do we have to wait until the winner of Josh Taylor versus uh, Jose Ramirez, um, if that fighter moves up to 147 sometime mm-hmm. in late 2021? I mean, is that the next big fight, or is there a PBC opponent out there? Uh, that'll emerge. I mean, we've been having the same conversation. It seems like Keith with about Terrence Crawford for the better yeah. part of the last, you know, few years. Yeah, absolutely, Chris. I mean, the, the Taylor uh, Ramirez winner makes a lot of sense because I think they both would want to move up to, you know, if you're the undisputed champion at 140, there's nothing left for you to do in that division, which is exactly what Terrence Crawford did when he moved up to welterweight and beat Jeff Horn. So that makes perfect sense. It's all in house because Taylor is co-promoted by Top Rank. Ramirez is promoted by Top Rank as is. Crawford. Um, so there would be some interest in that fight. I think if you, if you take the undisputed 140 pound champion, put him against the former undisputed 140 pound champion, that's a, that's a good fight. I mean, that's, you know, I, Crawford would be favored, but the other thing to, for people to remember, Chris, is that Terrence Crawford is now 33 years old. I mean, he's, you know, he's getting toward the back end of his, or he is in the back end of his physical prime. Um, and, you know, some people have wondered whether, his physical prime has been wasted over the last couple of years. Um, some of it his fault, some of it maybe top ranks fault, some of it not. Uh, but they want, you know, you would rather have seen him fight the best opponents he's going to fight when he was 30, not 35. So uh, he's pretty preserved though. I'll say that. I mean, he's not, it's not like he's been in some knockdown drag out slugfest. I mean, he's a good defensive fighter. He's a smart fighter. Um, seems to as the best as I can tell, you know, live a clean life outside of the ring. So, um, you know, doesn't want to wear a mask, I guess. So he doesn't believe that the pandemic is real, but beyond that, I think he, you know, I think he's well-preserved though. I don't think he's like an old 33. So, uh, but he is 33. Yeah. I mean, it, it feels like we're, there's a few guys that, that may be like that. I mean, we were talking about Demetrius Andrade. He's in his early thirties now. Like, could we see his prime years wasted just toiling around because he can't get fights? And that's that's kind of the the, the narrative of this generation where, like, nobody takes these, you know, I mean, not nobody. There are some plenty of fighters. Errol Spence is doing it. You know, nobody takes super tough fights in their prime or else they, they don't get enough of those tough fights in their prime. And Crawford's kind of the, the standard bearer for that type of fighter. But there's more. Like, there's a handful more yeah. of them like Andre that are in that mix. And uh, that's unfortunate. That's, that, 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 that's one of myriad reasons, Keith, that we could go on and on about that why boxing is in kind of the position it's, it finds itself in, you know, outside of the mainstream kind of looking in, but, uh, but that's a whole nother podcast. That's a whole nother <laughs> conversation. Uh, before I let you go, uh, hall of fame ballots came this week and 
Uh, there are some years, Keith, when I wonder if I even should submit a ballot at all because I don't really like any of the names on it. There are other years like this one where I'm wondering, you know, which highly qualified fighter is going to be on the outside looking in. Uh, for people that don't know how the Boxing Hall of Fame votes, uh, members of the uh, boxing writers like yourself, you and me, we get uh, ballots, uh, we vote, and, uh, you know, we vote for five, three get into Canastota mm-hmm. in, in an award announcement that is announced in December. So this year, Keith, you've got Vladimir Klitschko, you've got Floyd Mayweather, you've got Miguel Cotto, you've got Andre Ward, uh, you've got a whole bunch of guys that have been on for a little while. Like Ivan Calderon, I think, is a guy that deserves yeah. some some serious consideration uh, this time around. Um, what, what do you make of this ballot? I mean, how tough is it going to... I, I probably want to hold on to who you're going to vote for, but how tough is it, is it going to be for you to mail that in before the end of the month? Yeah, no, it, it's really... Uh, it's interesting, Chris, because as you said, there are some years where the guys who... It used to be a five-year waiting period, like with baseball and, and other sports, and now it's three. So uh, this class is is incredible. I mean, the guys... How do you... Look, you only have... You can only vote for five guys, as you said. Well, out of the five guys who are new to the ballot who last fought in 2017, how are you not voting for Floyd Mayweather, Vladimir Klitschko, Andre Ward, Miguel Cotto, or James Tony? Those five guys are first ballot Hall of Famers. I mean, obviously there's a pecking order among those guys, but how would you not vote for the five guys that are new to the ballot? And then it's like you said, there are guys left over that have not made it yet, who certainly warrant being in the Hall of Fame. Well, if you're going to vote for the five new guys on it, who you believe are first ballot Hall of Famers, you're not going to, you can't vote for any of the other guys. So it's going to be tough stuff. I mean, if someone's going to get screwed, I mean, there's no two ways about it. But I'll tell you this, uh, you know, the unfortunate thing for the uh, Boxing Hall of Fame, which heavily relies on induction weekend to sustain itself and obviously could not do that, uh, during the pandemic, they're going to have basically two ceremonies in one next year. That's going to be a hell of an event because mm. I would assume that Floyd Mayweather, Andre Ward, Vladimir Klitschko, you know, pick whoever you want, and then take the the all the class from the previous year and put it all together. That's going to be an enormous event and a big money maker for the Hall of Fame, which really needs that after having a year where you couldn't have people even go to the Hall of Fame and pay admission to go see it and, and miss the uh, induction ceremony. Yeah, and we're presumably going to get a Lou DiBella speech at the Hall of Fame. <laughs> I get a, I get I a mean, Lou DiBella speech four times a week. And I-, <laughs> I mean, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I only get it once, so you're, uh, you're you've got a few on me. Uh, I'm looking forward to Lou's, uh, you know, Frank Costanza airing of the grievances. Thing. He's going to go in there. He's going to look out into the crowd, going, "I a lot of problems with you people. A lot of problems with you people out there." It is. It is t- going to be tough. Like I-, I started to sketch out who I wanted to vote for. Uh, you know, not to, to to delve too deep into it, but I, I I'm going to give some pretty strong consideration to Calderon this time around. I feel like the little guys often get uh, ignored. And Calderon was such an accomplished guy, and during the early what 2000s, you know, he just mm-hmm. he, he was not only winning, but he was in really exciting fights, statement fights. Um, you know, I think the smaller guys are getting a little bit more popular nowadays. Chocolatito had a big played a big role in that, but you know, Calderon was was a monster in his day. He was a uh, he was really talented. So that might be the one guy that makes my ballot over some of the more established guys that are first or second year on that ballot. What do you think, before I uh, end this, what, what do you think, uh, the, the idea of staying, of, of cutting it from five years to three years, I don't love that because 
I mean, lots of fighters come out of retirement after right. three years. I mean, like, would it shock anyone if Floyd fought one more time? Would it? I mean, probably pretty surprising if Vladimir fought one more time, but I wouldn't rule it out. Uh, I think Andre's probably retired, but yeah, back of his head, maybe there's a huge fight he wants to take yeah. at some point. It's just, I, I don't really, I don't love the idea of, of going three years over five. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, first and foremost, I hope all three of those guys remain retired and don't fight again. They're, you know, Andre clearly is the youngest of, of the three, but all have done, you know, Floyd first, you know, above all others has done incredibly well financially, does not need to fight again. And Vladimir Klitschko, I think the same goes for him, has done very well with his money. As many other interests as well into his mid-40s wouldn't want to see him fight. And Andre is younger, but, uh, but I think a very smart guy and realizes, look, you know, I made a lot of money. I've got a good, good gig here with ESPN. No reason to tempt fate again. Uh, so I, I hope we don't see those three guys fight. But I do agree with what you're saying in that fighters seemingly never retire. And <laughs> even even if it was five years, Chris, you know, th there's always the potential for, especially for a guy like Andre Ward, despite what I just said, but his age, you know, he's not even any, anywhere near 40 years old yet. So he's, you know, so it wouldn't stun me if he fought again, but he seems to be leaning in the other direction. So, yeah, I, I don't love the three-year thing. We would have been in the same, just for argument's sake, say these five guys that I mentioned that are new to the ballot earlier, if they all remain retired and don't fight again, we'd have the same selection problem two years from now that we're having now. But but I, I would prefer it to be five years also. I'm with you on that. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's going to be a hell of a class, no question, with the double class going in in June. That's a must-attend weekend uh, out in New York uh, for that type of event. Uh, Keith, always appreciate the time, man. Glad What's you're man? out of the quarantine in the uh, Showtime bubble, and uh, hopefully we'll see you at the next one real soon, man. Thanks uh, for joining me. Yeah, my pleasure, Chris. I'm going right back to the the actual bubble there in Las Vegas for Lopez uh, Lomachenko. There you go. There you that's go. that's a conversation for next week. That's Great a. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to that one too. Me too, man. Be well, Chris. I'll talk to you soon, bud. Coming up next, 130-pound champion Leo Santa Cruz. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now, I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved about my first car. And that's easy for me to do because I still have my first car. And as long as it keeps running, and so far so good, I intend to have that car 
probably until the day I die. Uh, that's how much I love that car. It is like a child to me. Now, it does require some upkeep, and that's why I'm grateful for a place like eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. All right, Leo Santa Cruz is here, 130-pound title holder. He'll end an 11-month layoff when he takes on Gervonta Davis on Showtime Pay-Per-View on October 31st. And Leo joins me here on the show. Leo, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. I just got back from the gym, training, went well. Uh, you know, I feel great. I feel strong, great skill, everything. So we're just ready for the fight. So how are you feeling about this fight? What's your excitement level for this fight compared to some of the other big fights you've had, whether it's Carl Frampton, Abner Mares? How, how how up are you for this fight? Um, you know, this is the, the excited, the most time, the time I've been more excited because it's my first pay-per-view, me headlining it, fighting a fighter like Tank Davis. He's a great fighter. The people wanted this fight. So I asked for this fight and I got it. You know, I'm very excited for for to go out there and show the world that I could compete against Tank Davis and that I could beat him. You've been talking about Tank Davis for a while now. After the last couple of fights, you've been saying, I want to fight Tank. I want to fight Tank. Why was he the guy that you were yeah. targeting so specifically? Because, you know, he's a great, great fighter. He's a great fighter. He has great power. And I think he's the one of the best fighters out there that I could prove myself and that I could show the world that I'm not scared of nobody. You know, people were saying that I'm scared to fight, you know, big opponents, big challenges. And I think Gervonta Davis is the biggest challenge out there. You know, he's a bigger name than all of the people that other people wanted me to fight. So, you know, who better than Gervonta Davis to prove other people wrong that I'm here to fight the best. When he made the jump up to 135 pounds last year, did you think that, okay, it's it's probably not going to happen? Yeah, I, that's true. I did. You know, when he moved up to 135, I was like, oh, I don't think he's going to make 130 no more. So I think that fight is going to, you know, go out the window. But then he said that he could go come down in weight. And I was like, well, if he could come down in weight, let's make this fight. And he mm. did. How, I mean, that, he says he's going to come down and wait. That's been something of a problem for Tank, as you know, in the past. I mean, how how sure are you that he's going to make 130 pounds? Well, I'm not 100% sure, but, you know, it shows in his work. You know, it looks like he's working hard. It looks like he's in shape already. His body, he doesn't look that bad no more. And he started a uh, camp, you know, I think it was maybe 12 weeks before he started. Like, he has a six-week or eight-week camp. So there are there are obviously financial penalties if he doesn't make that weight, but you're a guy that's just starting out at 130 pounds. I mean, how comfortable would you be if he didn't make weight? Oh, the truth, I'm not going to be comfortable. Uh, but, you know, I won this fight, and just not for a pound or two pounds of weight, I'm not going to, you know, throw that fight away. This is a big fight, and if he comes overweight, I'm going to be disappointed, but... You know, I'm still going to fight. I'm going to go out there. And I know there's advantages on his side if he doesn't make weight. But I'm still, you know, I'm a warrior. No matter what, I'm going to take the fight and just go out and give the fans a great fight. So take me back, Leo, to mm-hmm. 
to last November. I was ringside for your win over Miguel Flores, but I think everyone agreed, yourself included, that it was not your best performance. What did you yeah. think of, of the way you fought that night? Yeah. Yeah, no, the last fight, you know, uh, one week before the fight, I got a little bit sick. Uh, I got the fever for three days. I really couldn't, you know, I didn't feel as strong. You know, when I was training, like, before, I felt strong. I was like, oh, I feel really good. I'm going to go out there and try to do a great fight, look strong. But, you know, like I said, fight week, I was still sick. And I was worried that I wasn't going to be at my best. And, yeah, it did happen. You know, when I went up there, I didn't feel as strong as I was feeling. And it, it wasn't my, my, my day that day. So why... You know, why go right into a fight with one of the best in the division? Why not have one more fight at 130 to get truly comfortable? Or do you feel like you're truly comfortable already at 130? Yeah, no, I think I could have gotten one more fight. But, you know, people were going to say that, uh, why are you taking another tuna fight? You say you're going to fight the best and you keep on not fighting the best. So I was like, I'll just go straight for, you know, with Jabonda Davis. So that way people... One being saying that I'm cherry picking that, you know, I, I keep on taking tune up fights. So I say, are you going to go straight away? Hopefully for this fight, I do feel 100% strong and I go out there and look my best. So in that one fight, did you feel any difference in your speed and power with that extra four pounds? Uh, yeah, I felt a little bit stronger. Like I said, I, I was feeling a little stronger. And my sparring partners were saying that I, I was feeling stronger. And, but like I said, uh, when, I think when I was sick, that took a little bit of my power and I couldn't showcase my 100% what I've been working on and everything. But right now, I do feel 100% you know, strong. And my spar sparring partners say that I do feel a lot stronger and that you know I'm looking at my best I have ever been before. So I, as you go into this fight, having the experience of one fight at 130, do you feel, have you had to make any changes in your training as you prepare for this fight? I just been in a little bit more, you know. Uh, I've been uh, staying at 140 for a while. I could have been at like 132, 133 already right now, but my brothers tell me to stay like around 140, 142. That way, I won't give too much weight advantage, and I'm eating good steaks and everything. So I feel good. I feel strong, and I feel great in the sparring in my training camp. Davis, as we know, is a powerful guy, especially at 130 yes. pounds. What's the key to you to countering that kind of power? You know, I just got to go out there and be smart, really smart. I got to fight a perfect fight, not try to exchange power punches with him, be on the outside, keep him outside with the jab, jab, and the right, and just be really, you know, counter punch him, wait for him to throw the punches, and then go after, you know, when, when he I see he gasses out and stuff like that, I'm just going to go after him, and hopefully, you know, that's where we take advantage. Have you been able to have as close to a normal training camp as you would with everything that's going on in the world? Yeah, no, it's been a little bit hard. It's, but I'm still training. You know, I'm very, you know, focused. I'm doing everything I have to do to come out for this fight and look my best. I'm going to strength conditioning coach, my strength conditioning coach, Andy Aguilar, and I've been in the gym with my dad. And, you know, he's been back and forth, and we're still doing everything we had to do. How's your dad doing these days? Oh, my dad is doing, you know, good. There's some days, bad days that he has a lot of pain and stuff, but he's always in the gym. Today was one of those days that he, he felt a little bit sick, so he didn't go to the gym, but he's still there with me all the time, and he's calling me, telling me that to work hard to on the things to, he wants me to work on, and that's what I do. You expect him to be in your corner on fight night? 
yes, of course. You know, we, I expect him to be in my corner fight night. And he 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 wants to go. He said, I got to be there. And I, I want him there. So he is hopefully God. He's going to be there. Hmm. Uh, this is going to be a fight that there actually will be fans in attendance. Maybe the first <laughs> fight that has fans in attendance. How do you feel about that? I feel great. You know, this is what I wanted. Uh, I wanted to fight with fans because, uh, you know, yes, the feeling that fighting there with no fans, no shears, no screams that, you know, bring that extra out of you. It just, no, it sucks. But not knowing <laughs> that I'm going to fight with fans is a great relief. I'm more motivated. I just want to go out there and give the fans a great show and hopefully I get the win. Have you watched any of the fights, uh, you know, on TV or otherwise that haven't had fans with them? Yeah, I have. I have watched fights. And you just know it looks it looks weird. It looks, you know, like no action because uh, there's no fans screaming and stuff. It feels like you just right there sparring, or you know, it's like a light sparring. Yeah, it, it was it was really it was really weird watching Jose Zapata versus Ivan Baranchik with eight <laughs> knockdowns, eight knockdowns, yeah, and yep. no nobody resp- nobody in the crowd to respond to it. Wild. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I can imagine, man. That's a great, was a great fight. If it would have been with fans, it would have been a great atmosphere, and it would have been great. And just the last question for you, Leo. Yeah. Um, this is a fight, you know, a contestant at 130 pounds. Do you believe yeah. the winner of this fight should be considered number one at 130 pounds? Yes, of course. I think that the winner of this fight should be considered the you know number one in the 130 pounds. And also should be considered in the top 10 pounds for pounds, one of the best. Because, you know, I'm a four-division world champion. Uh, Gervonta Davis, a three-time world champion. He's a great fighter. So I think the winner of this fight should be considered right there and put right there in the top 10. It sounds like some of the criticism of you in the last couple of years where people have said, you know, how many more tune-up fights are you going to take? Has that bothered yeah. you? Has that affected you? Yeah, it does, you know, because I'm here to please the fans. You know, I want to fight, fight for the fans. Um, I'm here thanks to them. So I want to please them. You know, I asked for the fights they want me to fight, but yes, the promoters, they don't get to an agreement and make those fights. But I now that I asked for Gervonta Davis, they did, you know, make it. And I'm just, you know, happy that they gave me this fight and I could prove yeah. the fans and show them that I'm here to fight the best. Should be a great fight. Leo Santa Cruz, Gervonta Davis, Showtime pay-per-view, October 31st. Uh, Leo, good luck, man. Good luck in training and looking forward to fight night. No, thank you, Chris. Have a great day and thank you for everything. You got it. All right, that's it for this week's episode. My thanks to my guests. As always, subscribe to the podcast over at Apple Podcasts. Rate, review, you know I appreciate it, and I'll see you next week. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space.
Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.